Any advice for classical players to sound stylish and authentic when playing jazz, e.g. in small ensemble? Yes, I have thoughts about this. So one more time, for those that didn't hear the question, advice for classical players who want to sound more stylish, as in like sound more like jazz musicians, uh, when playing jazz in small ensembles. So this is a really great question. It all comes down to two things, three things. First, listening to more jazz music, listening really intently to that music and really kind of deciding to decipher how and why, most importantly why, the players are doing what they're doing. So that means listening closely, not just to the notes, but how the notes are being played. There's a big distinction between listening to just like that's an A or an A flat versus how is it articulated? What's the vibrato? What's the style? What's the length of the note? What's the articulation? Is it short or long? Accented or unaccented? Okay, so all of those things go into sounding like a quote-unquote jazz musician before we even talk about swing or eighth note feel. So listen. Second, you might need to change up your, your articulation concept or your sustained pitch, your, your, the sustain of your notes, because something I was working on just this week with a student, we were talking about this exact thing, is that sometimes in classical music, in just trombone, we get into the habit of, rightly so also, so I'm not saying this is a bad thing, we get into the habit of filling up all the space with our sound, right? From one note all the way to the next. But if you listen to great jazz soloists, there's a little bit of space, a little bit of daylight between each note. You listen to J.J. Curtis, it's not do 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 it's da 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 There's a very slight difference, right? do 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 if you can hear the difference between those two things, that's what I'm talking about. It's not legato. It's not staccato. My teacher, Steve Trey, always used to call it staccato, right? It's right in the middle. There's a space between each note so that it has rhythmic intensity. And then there's also a full body to the note, like it takes up the space, but it only takes up as much space as the time will allow. So sometimes we get this like type of articulation that goes up and out. If you imagine your sound going up and out of your horn, like in a classical sense, ta, right? And if I say ta, I'm even lifting and I'm, it's like going up. But if I'm singing like a jazz phrase, right? It kind of goes forward and out and it has more space, more daylight between the notes, which gives it more rhythmic bounce, which gives, gives it more rhythmic flow. I hope that makes sense. That's like the biggest thing is that you gotta kind of adjust your articulation concept to kind of fit this quote unquote jazz style. And that's the same way you would go about playing funk or rock or salsa or any other type of music that you might find yourself playing. It's all about the articulation concept and obviously there's style things too, but that articulation really kind of drives the style. So that's what I find. Think about staccato, right? Staccato. So what I mean again, one more time to explain what staccato is, it's the front of the note and the end of the note have that staccato. The body of the note is legato, right? So it's staccato, it's right in the middle. And so JJ Curtis, Steve Turay, you know, Michael Deese, myself, kind of, I definitely play with that sort of thing. Well, I'm trying to do that. I'm still working on it too. So I'm not trying to say that like I've mastered it, but Definitely something that I think about all the time. And it, like I said, it was something we were, um, how did you used to go about correcting mistakes in your playing? Well, I'm still correcting mistakes in my playing first off. So let's like dispel that myth number from the beginning. All the best players are constantly trying to correct mistakes uh, all the time. So don't get be mistaken that we don't all make mistakes, no matter how good that player is. 
It's just that maybe you minimize the mistakes or people don't notice them as much. Um, so how do I correct mistakes? One, noticing the mistake and correcting it immediately when practicing. And two, also remembering that uh, mistake, once it's gone, it's gone. And you can't do anything about it. Especially in music, music making, especially in live performance, especially in improvising. You know, I always think about wanting to raise my floor, meaning my natural habits, my natural state of trombone playing, my natural state of musicianship is just getting tiny little bit better every day so that my worst day is better than the average person's best day. You know, that's the goal, right, for me. Just get that worst day so that my worst day is better and better and better and better. And there's all these things I don't have to think about anymore. It's all natural. It's all in the back subconscious. And that includes things like sound, articulation, intonation, uh, all those things that we don't want to have to think about when we're playing with other people. Because I like to hear, I like to listen to everybody else when I'm playing. That's why um, making music during this time all by myself has been hard because I like to listen to everybody else and say, I asked this question. I'm, I've said it here before on the stream and I'll say it again and I'll say it again in the future. Let's pose the question to yourself. What does the music need right now? What does the music need right now? And be in the moment. That's what they're talking about when they say be in the moment. Listen to the band. Play with each other. It's serving the music, not just like I learned all this cool stuff. I'm going to go and I'm going to go ahead and play it now. You know, I mean, that happens to everyone. Everybody <clears throat> gets excited and wants to like jump in and, and do that. But I just encourage you to uh, ask yourself that question and um, let the mistakes go, number one, to get back to your question. Let the mistakes go. Notice the mistakes and address them immediately. So when I'm practicing, if I make a mistake, I don't let it go. Like, for example, if we're playing a Roshu or playing something and a student, uh, it plays it and it's just the resonance isn't there, the articulation is there. It's like you got to stop because sometimes people just get the, through the thing of just playing. They play through it again. They play through it again and again and again. And it's not getting you anywhere. You're not getting any better at it. You're just ingraining mistakes. So you have to notice Hold yourself to a high level of accountability and then notice and fix the mistakes right away so they don't get into your subconscious because it's very easy for them to get put in there because you're not doing anything to correct it, all right? <clears throat> and how can I practice improvisation efficiently? I end up just turning on my practice into a one-man jam session. Yeah, that's super, super common um, and is the biggest pitfall, I think, of practicing of people practicing jazz and practicing improvisation. So... Um, Practicing efficiently improvisation, this is something I talk again to my students about all the time. So what do you practice? Well, I put on the play along and I put on I Real B on 25 choruses and I practice for 25 minutes, this tune. That's not practicing. You have to approach improvisational practice the same way that uh, you practice an etude. So that means breaking down sounds, breaking down connecting sounds, breaking down one, two, five, breaking down four bars, breaking down the A section, looping the A section, looping it slow, playing only eighth notes, playing only quarter notes, playing eighth notes only ascending, playing eighth notes only descending. Like we're coming up with a lot of tactics, a lot of, um, not requirements, but limitations is the word I'm looking for, a lot of limitations and forcing yourself to improvise within those limitations. A lot of times people say they don't want to play the obvious thing, like when you're talking about like a dominant chord, people want to play extensions, they don't want to play the major third, but play the major third. You got to play the obvious thing first before you play the non-obvious thing um, because otherwise it doesn't sound like you know what you're doing. No offense, but it sounds like a mistake a lot of times. Um, so when practicing, efficient, to practice efficiently, you, you want to break it down. You want to go slow, very, very slow. 
when I'm if I'm trying to find new things to play on a tune, I'm and it's a fast tune, I'm practicing boo do 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 eighth notes, sixty or less, man. So really, really slow. Break it down one bar at a time. If there's a sound you don't know, I'll make myself like a drone of that sound and like just play over it for an hour. Yes, like an hour with one sound. It doesn't take that long in the scheme of like 20 years to spend an hour, but in the scheme, the scheme of a week, you know, it might seem a little bit slow. So break it down just like you would an etude. Practice your improvisation the same way you would practice a Roshu or an Arbenz. So one bar at a time, master it, put it into two bars, master those, three, four. So it, you don't play until the end, right? So you work on a whole bunch of different stuff, and then at the end, just go and play. It says, you have mentioned the metronome before. Do you have a suggestion or two for using it effectively? Yes, I do. So metronome use in practicing. There's, it's, it's a both a great tool and a crutch at the same time, right? So um, I highly recommend using it. I highly recommend not using it. And I know that probably seems detrimental or, or back, you know, it seems like opposite advice, but um, you have to play metronome games with yourself and you have to switch up how you use it all the time. So what do I mean? So what I mean is like, there's a bunch of different ways you can set a metronome, right? You can put it on one and three, you can put it on two and four, you can put it on one, you can put it on four, you can put it on two, so you're getting just like one beat in a bar or two beats in a bar, two big beats or one beat. You know, the further apart you put the beats, the more you're putting it on yourself to be really responsible for the time and keeping the time. Um, so I recommend doing all of the above. It's really important to um, develop this sense. So what I like to say is like you either playing in time or you're playing the time. So hope you can understand the difference there. So you're either playing in time, so accurately computer-like in time, or you are playing the time. You're defining the time. Your sense of time is really strong. And I'm going for the second one. And so that may not be what you want to do, but I highly think it's better. It sounds better. It feels better when you're playing the time, defining the time with your playing. Uh, it's, it's not because it's more than just being accurate, right? A computer is accurate, but it doesn't feel right, right? So you, you get this by one. For a while, you use a metronome all the time. And that gets that consistent sense of pulse into your playing all the time. So use it all the time. But when I say use it all the time, that means consistently use it all the time in different ways. So that means put it on two and four, put it on one, put it on one and three, use those different things, set it so that it's the same you know how you can have like different pitches, like a high pitch and a low pitch on some metronomes? You know, sometimes you get it so it's like and sometimes where it's just so that you're defining where one is. You know, all of those different kind of variations. And then start to put it further and further apart. So if you're practicing at like a tune that's like at 200, kind of medium up, right? So you can set it at 200 and have quarter notes. That sounds pretty frantic. You can start half notes. Uh, Half notes, tick, 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 and then two, three, four, two, three, four, two, three, four, and half it again. So it'd be a 200, then 100, and then 50. And then if you can go all the way down to 25, you know, that's every two bars. That's hard because to improvise all the way in between, try it. You'll, you'll, you'll thank me and hate me later at the same time. But I would like to hear about your experience. I believe I heard you say you attended Juilliard. Yes, I did attend Juilliard. 
Um, if there's something specific you want to know, maybe you want to follow up that question. Excuse me again. But um, yeah, I did my master's at Juilliard from 2010 to 2012. It had been my dream to go there since I was in high school. Uh, and I didn't get in for my undergrad, so I had this kind of chip on my shoulder or mission for the next five years of college because I took a year off after undergrad. I did my undergrad at Eastman, where I'm from in Rochester, New York. So I went to Eastman and had that kind of sole focus on like getting to Juilliard. And um, I had that mission to just get it together, to get it done, to make, make it happen. And uh, my experience there was a lot different. I don't know what I expected, but it was definitely different than what I expected. Um, it changed a lot from the time I wanted to go there as an undergrad to when I went there. For example, Wynton Marcellus had stepped away from directing the program while I was there. Uh, Carl Allen was directing the program while I was there. And so there was like this kind of middle, this period in between. Not, I mean, Wynton is there again running it now. Uh, but when I was there, it was kind of the in-between time. And you know, I, they definitely focus on different things than what I focused on at Eastman, which I think was a good thing. It was complimentary for me. Um, I don't think it would have worked for me in the opposite order, meaning this is that Eastman was a lot more focused on building up your skills as a craftsman of music, right? Like being able to do stuff, work in the industry, play the instrument, function in an ensemble, all that stuff, which is really, really amazing. And then Juilliard was way more focused on artistry. Uh, what do you want to sound like? Who do you want to play with? What does your music sound like? How are you contributing to this industry? How are you going to make an impact? How are you going to rise above the fray? All of this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, the expectations of Juilliard were much more time commitment. It was much more like being a part of the school and scene and commitments and, you know, events and stuff rather than Eastman was kind of more oriented around academia, this academia kind of thing. Um, so they were a lot different. Um, and, uh, you know, at Eastman, I had to play classical ensembles and play, study classical for two years, which was good for me because I wanted to learn how to play the trombone too, so I could function in the world. Uh, so that was great. So, yeah, I mean, those are kind of the differences. I mean, I had a great time studying with Steve Turay. Some other people don't get along with him as well as I did um, for different reasons, but um, we we had a good relationship, I think, at least from my point of view, and uh, we still stay in touch now and again. I wish I could see him more, but uh, he's a busy guy and uh, spending a lot of time at UNT because I teach uh, in Texas, so I haven't been back to New York in six months or whatever, so a little tricky time, but things will get back to normal eventually. eventually. Um, so yeah, those are the differences. That's kind of my experience at Juilliard. It was a great way to get to New York. Uh, it was the way that I made it happen, getting to New York, that is. Um, grad school was a great way to have a um, community, a great way to build friendships, a great way to uh, you know, just break into the scene. Because I had two years, year and a half, to kind of get things together. At the end of my second year, I did my first record, and then it was kind of off to the races from there. So do you have any recommendations for extended technique trombone books or exercises? Uh, there's no books, really. I mean, there's this kind of old book of that had, what is it called, Learn from the Masters, something like that. It's old and out of print that talks about, like, the Rosalino kind of stuff. 
But um, extended techniques, you kind of got to just ask somebody that does those things. Like I learned a lot of that stuff from Wycliffe Gordon, you know, just from hanging around him, taking lessons and stuff. Um, and uh, I don't know. So I, I kind of, I find that you have to learn through doing and learning through trying to imitate. And you're like, okay, how do I do this? You know, who's somebody that does it well? Who, and then ask them, like, how do you do that? Take a lesson. Just be like, man, how do you do that? Um, I, I don't think extended techniques are really that important. Um, those are like icing, you know, they're sprinkles to the icing even. Like if you can't play in tune in time, play harmony the way that you want to play harmony and like have a musical point of view, like those things don't, don't really matter, you know. Uh, so I wouldn't really focus on those. And I don't know of any books about like general extended techniques. I don't even know if you could write a book about that. There's not that many. The best way for a young musician to connect with pros and other players you want to learn from? It's a good question. Just send them an email, I think is the best way, especially for ones that are older than me. Um, I think most, like the, my peers and older generally are less, uh, less on Instagram and stuff, like doing live streams and stuff. Uh, younger than me, like, so I'm 32. So if they're older, then you probably want to send them an email. And if uh, they're younger, they're probably on here or TikTok or whatever, and you could just send them a DM. That's what I would do. And I would just say, man, I really love how you do this or that. I've been listening to all your music. I would love to connect and have a lesson. And But uh, definitely don't ask for free. Like the, that person is going to, you know, want to be compensated for their time just as an expectation and then if they happen to want to just chat or give you a free lesson or whatever that's up to them so definitely like ask them what their rates are and stuff so that they don't have to be in an awkward position to like ask you if you're going to pay for a lesson or something like that so just be cool be normal and just be like hey i'm a big fan i love your music i would love to talk with you sometime i'd love to get a lesson and if you're definitely like interested in a certain thing um you know, a lot of those players are going to say what I said, which is like, oh, well, I mean, I can show you, but you really need to know these 10 things before you worry about this, like doodle-tonguing or uh, singing and playing, doing multiphonics or whatever. So uh, it's really, you know, uh, personal to each person. But, yeah, just reach out to them. Everybody's pretty friendly. I don't know too many people that would say no, unless they're too busy. They might be too busy. But um, most people that I've met in the music industry are cool and normal and just want to connect with other people and share their music and share their thoughts and would be happy to help you. So don't be afraid to reach out. What do you take to get into a top jazz school, UNT Eastman, et cetera? I play a lot of classical, but I'm tempted to switch over. What would it take? Um, it takes a commitment to the music. It takes a study of the music. It takes knowing tunes. It takes learning vocabulary. Um, it's not just like a, I'm gonna switch and play jazz kind of thing. You know, like you have to have time studying the music and being into the music and playing the music. Um, I can't speak for every school, but I know what I look for in a young player. Uh, and that is one, that they like to play jazz. And I'm gonna say that I generally have a wide view of what jazz could be, but in the context of coming to study at school jazz music, um, I have a narrower definition. So I'm talking about, do you know the history of jazz a little bit? Do you know some JJ, some Curtis, some Slide Hampton? Do you know some tunes? Can you play some harmony? Uh, even if it is through the lens of like doing modern players, like you've transcribed Michael Deese and Ryan Keberly and Marshall Jokes or whatever, and then you want to kind of come and do more study of 
like jazz music more specifically. Um, it's one, an interest in the music in general. And, you, and it's very obvious that when someone just, quote unquote, tries to switch over and doesn't have any um, real context, they just don't want to study classical. That is a thing that happens a lot. Um, and I will say when I see that, I don't accept those people because there's, all, there's other people that um, I think would get more out of the program. It's not because I don't think you couldn't be successful, but it's just that um, the way that I teach and my level of expectation is that you're someone that's interested in that history of the music. Um, and if you're not, that's, that's cool, but somebody else might be a better teacher for you uh, than me because I'm going to make you go back and check that stuff out and try to be a well-rounded musician. You know, even though like I don't I'm not going to play like Tromi Young and I'm not going to play like Jack Teagarden. That's something we're studying, you know, like it's something that I find useful and helpful. Um, so it's a part of the history. And so if you don't want to study that whole history, don't become a jazz major because uh, that is one of the more frustrating things I think for students is when they take on a jazz degree when they just want to not be a classical major. You know, so a jazz for me is about playing jazz and improvising and being improviser, like focusing on improvisation, not just focusing on big band or like playing non-classical styles, if that makes sense. For me, in my studio, uh, obviously, and it takes being in the top, you know, whatever, 10% of applicants, basically, um, being a strong applicant and also being coachable, being, you know, open to learning you know if you come in fully formed like sometimes especially at a place like juilliard there's a lot of young players that are like 90 percent formed you know they don't they like have been studying at a high level for like a long time and then going so to come into my studio and then expect to just like be given the magic fairy dust you know that doesn't really work either because there is no magic fairy dust you know so um yeah we're, we're looking for people that are going to be great community members you know open to learning, interested in the music, you know, all those things. So anyway, I hope that helps you. But thanks for being here. Appreciate everybody. Hope you have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you next time.